We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and special guest today, Joe Maker. Fellas, how are we doing? It is a pleasure to have Joe Money McCarr now on the Brooklyn Buzz. Joe, how are we doing? First time on the Buzz. How are you feeling? Doing well. I'm happy to be here. Let's talk some Nets. And before we get started, as always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But Jack, we're talking trades today, but who are we talking about? Um, well, I've got about 85 names <laughs> in this two-page Google Doc. But no, let's get started with the big ones. The one everyone wants to talk about, Paul George to BK. There's plenty of news popping around for the last, oh, let's say, 10 days or so, ever since the uh, Los Angeles Clubs were eliminated from the playoffs. And the most recent one was from a blue tick on Twitter. We've got Jason McIntyre, uh, who Nick told me reported some strong rumors about the Kyrie Irving thing. So, you know, maybe this is true. Uh, they say that the the trade centers around Dinwiddie, Levert, and Picks. Joe, how real do you think this is? How much do you want this to happen? Are you a Paul George stan? Are you a Paul George non-believer? In terms of how realistic it is, I'm not quite sure, especially since we saw LA last season just mortgage their future to get Paul George to LA. 
But at this point, if the package involves picks, if they really don't think Paul George can really mesh with Kawhi, I don't think it's as impossible as it seems, but also from Mark's point of view, I think in any situation where they would be trading for a third star, you know Marks is going to be like heavily pondering it, really thinking, is this going to be worth it? Because essentially, yes, people would want to join the Nets if they have a third star, but he would be eliminating all of his depth, including picks. And in terms of the fit, I'm not quite sure how he would fit with Kyrie and Durant. I'm not saying it would be bad, but I'm not quite sure how that would fit. So for now, I'd have to sell on that rumor. Yeah, I think there's some question about the attitude. You know, just the vibe that he had in the locker room. And we saw the reports that came out after the Clippers that he does he's not a guy that necessarily takes accountability. And obviously, there's already some concern about the relationship with KD and Kyrie in the front office and that whole like organization in terms of like how it's going to have an impact. And people are saying they're toxic. Obviously, we haven't seen that yet in Brooklyn. But like Joe mentioned, you know, like, is it realistic for the Clippers to trade Paul George after get what felt like a million picks going to OKC? You know what I mean? And SGA and Gallinari. Like, we're, let's not forget, there are two good players in that trade. Obviously, Gallinari is expiring, but SGA looks like he could be a future all-star. So I think the Clippers would probably want to give it another shot, especially after they just let go with Doc Rivers. In terms of the fit with the Nets, I think, like, on paper, it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, Paul George, obviously, was an MVP candidate a few years ago, Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Three-point shooting at times has been really good, but he's been so inconsistent. So it makes you think maybe he'd be better as a third option instead of a second option. But it'd be something that Marks has to consider, like you said, Joe, because you lose Spencer, you lose Levert. I feel like you'd almost have to get Pat Bev back in the deal, too, so you'd have a little guard depth and replacement. I mean, honestly, it seems to look. I'm just looking at this as a purely basketball, in, in the purely basketball respect. He is an ideal fit in Brooklyn. You yeah. need defend. You need defenders. Paul George is a very good defender. You True. need three point shooting. Paul George is a very good three point shooter. Despite what he threw up in when he was in the three point shooting. Does that from, concern you, Jack? Though, like that, he just like his three point shooting. It feels like it disappears almost every postseason. I think it's more that the. Uh, I think it's. And for talking about recency bias, I think it's the bubble situation, to be honest. I think that it really had an effect on him. And he did, and I, I, I respect the honesty that he showed, despite what other pundits said about his honesty. I res really respect the fact that he's like, look, this is affecting me, uh, my mental health and, and my well-being and, and my depression and anxiety, those sort of things. And I think that if he's in a, an environment where he wants to be, and obviously it's, it's likely to be LA, but you know, I think that if you're a third guy in Brooklyn, where and Brooklyn Nets probably have even less lights on them than and if you're a third guy, not necessarily the second guy, the responsibility isn't on you. That will probably affect his, I guess, the, the responsibility and the pressure on him even less so. I just think that, like you mentioned, Nick, we're talking about a guy who was close to winning an MVP, close to winning a defensive player of the year. He's an all-NBA-level all defensive player and an all-NBA-level player, one of the best wings in the league. And I think that, you know, had things gone differently in Los Angeles, we wouldn't even be talking about this at all. So yeah. I, I just think that we're completely forgetting and, and completely just taking like rationality out of it. It's just like, oh, come on, Karis LeVert's better than him already. And it's just like, all right, guys, like, let's chill a little bit. Like Karis is great and Spencer is great, but their ceilings aren't MVP level players, which Paul George has shown. It's and a top 15 guy you can add. I don't know if you'll get another opportunity to get a top 15 guy. No, and like we've talked about Drew Holiday, Bradley Beal and, and those sort of guys. Bradley Beal, clear defensive weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Whereas Paul George has the three-point shooting, has the scoring, and the defensive prowess. It's literally everything you want if you're a Brooklyn Nets supporter, a Brooklyn Nets player, a Brooklyn Nets organization. So I, but, but I do obviously see that it is not necessarily realistic, as Joe sort of said, and as you sort of alluded to as well, Nick. You know, But at the same time, 
there is only what he is able to opt out at the end of next year. Mm. So if the Clippers were to make a move, now is the time rather than losing him for nothing. Whereas it's like, man, this is all a bit too much. I'm going to go to the Lakers. I'm going to go to uh, Houston or wherever else it might be when he does, if he does choose to opt out. So if you're Steve Ballmer, it seems to me he's starting to run things a little bit more now. And he's just like, this isn't good enough. I'm going to make some big changes. He already did with Doc Rivers. It could happen. I think it's less, it's less likely, more likely to see some Montrezl Harold, Lou Williams sort of stuff. But it wouldn't be... There's been more surprising things that have happened in the NBA. Let's put it that way. And the package isn't bad. Like, that's a package the Clippers would still be contending. Like, you know, Spencer and Karras with Kawhi would kind of have two guys to kind of take the load off of him. And they wouldn't necessarily have to play Lou Will in closing lineups, which really hurt them a lot during the postseason. And, you know, with the picks, they can maybe move somewhere else. Like you said, Jack, I think on paper, in terms of like talent and fit next to Kyrie and KD, you can't really do much better. I think it's more of the other things of like, is this a guy that kind of chokes in the playoffs? We saw a little bit with OKC. Obviously, some of this year was mental health because the bubble is a struggle. It's not an easy situation. I would also mention, though, his shoulders are a little concerning, too, because we constantly see him icing. He just had the surgery and he's like, oh, my shoulders feel amazing. And then like the first postseason game, he's got two giant ice backs. So think that's just a little bit of the concern but you're, you're gonna have to make some type of risky move when you have katie and kyrie if this one's on the table you probably pull the trigger especially if you maybe could get the clippers to throw in like i said a pat bev or maybe a shamit or something like that just to kind of add a little more value for you yeah joe i'll throw this at you if if you have an option for bradley beal you have an option for we'll get to victor oladipo in a, in a little bit oladipo you had an option for bradley beal you had an option for drew holiday you had an option for paul george and all of those you can just go all right this is the one that i want obviously this is a completely hypothetical scenario who would you take out of those guys in a trade package i'm being a little biased in this case because i have an admiration for drew holiday but i have to say holiday and the reason for it is because look at how he would fit with this lineup he could play either point guard or two He's essentially that backcourt stopper we need. In terms of George, yes, I like him in that role. But you got to look at it this way. Drew Holiday, because of age, because of brand recognition, Drew Holiday is going to come a lot cheaper than Paul George would. So if I can get Drew Holiday with only trading one of Karras or Spencer, and I could maybe throw in a pick in there, a sweetener, a Torian Prince's deal, something along that line, then i much rather have Drew Holiday for that price than Paul George for that price. So while I do agree with you, I think Drew Holiday is essentially the perfect fit for this team. He could easily score 20 points a night, but he doesn't have to. He could lock down the backcourt on the other end. And if you have Kyrie in the backcourt, as elite as he is, creating his own shot, generating offense, let's be honest, he's a bit of a liability when it comes to the defensive end. So if I'm the Nets, I'm looking at some type of defensive stopper in that backcourt. Yeah. I think, you know, that's a great pick, Joe. And I think also, like, the, the what you're sending out in the trade trade is huge. Because if you are able to keep Spencer or Karras in that trade and then add Drew, now all of a sudden you're taking yourself to that next level while still maintaining your depth, which is huge. Where if you make the Paul George move, it's a little bit more all-in. But he is, I think, obviously a better player than Drew Holiday. And he would probably provide you the same level of defensive effort, but giving you more on the offensive end in terms of like a complementary role with his three-point shooting. And I, I would say Bradley Beal, obviously, we know what he could do offensively. But like Jack referenced, you know, defensively, he's not in the same conversation as those two guys. And Oladipo is just such a toss-up right now. I just feel like he's a player I really don't know who he is because of that injury. And I can't make a, a fair assumption on him until I see him for probably 25 more games next year. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think Joe makes probably the most salient point out of that, the fact that what is the package that you're giving yeah. up? In I, and the honestly, package rumored wasn't that crazy. 
And look, to be honest, I think Toy and Prince is a negative asset. And if you're actually going to get rid of him, you'll probably have to add a, a sweetener, be that like a, a, a high-end second rounder or a low-end first rounder. Um, I just think that his, 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 um, his value is negative and you have to put t- something on top of that. But we did just allude to Victor Oladipo and there are trade packages around. And I'm going to give you the, the three-man deal that our guy Billy Reinhardt put on Twitter. And we know the, the, the sort of one-for-one deal, but here's a three-man one, a three-team one that I think probably makes a, a fair bit of sense for the three teams involved. So the Nets get Oladipo and TJ Warren. The Pelicans get Dinwiddie, Miles Turner, and a 2021 first rounder from the Nets. The Pacers get Drew Holiday, Toyin Prince, Jared Allen, a 2021 second from the Nets, and a, a two twenty one two twenty twenty one seconds from the Nets. Now, from the Nets side of things, which we're going to focus on, we can obviously talk about um, other areas if you want. But Joe, from the Nets side of things, how much does this make sense? In terms of, again, fit with the roster... I wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad fit, but you have to question, like Nick said at this point, how Oladipo is going to look, especially with title aspirations on a Nets team that's looking to contend. You know, in Indiana, the pressure is a little bit lower because, okay, they're kind of stuck in the middle of the pack and they're not going to be contending for titles year in and year out. In the Nets case, they kind of already have something in Dinwiddie and Levert, guys who are proven in this point. Oladipo, I love him as a player. I love what he brings on the defensive end. But his offensive game, which is essentially what people are going to judge him on come playoff time, has been a little bit inconsistent. I think I saw, I don't know if this was in the bubble or just in general in the regular season, I think he's shot 39% from the field and like 32 from three. So how exactly is he going to perform on this team that has expectations higher than he's ever been on? He's never been on, he's been with, let's see, Orlando so far. He's been with the Thunder when they just had Westbrook, so I wouldn't say they were contending at that point. And then he's been on Indiana. He's never really been on a true title contender. And I feel like the bright lights in this case might expose him. And as much as I love Oladipo, I don't feel like Brooklyn might necessarily be the most perfect fit for him. Yeah, I agree with Joe here. And I'm not even sure TJ Warren is a great fit. Like there's some concern there too. Like he's he had so much success in the bubble because he ended up being the guy and getting more touches. And my question right now would be like, how much better is Victor Oladipo than Spencer Dinwiddie? And I'm, I'm not saying that Spencer's a better player, but what's the gap there? Yeah, or Karis LeVert. And, and like you're losing Jared Allen in this trade too, which I feel like is a nice asset that it's just like, I'm not sure how much Victor Oladipo and TJ Warren boost the Nets up. Like I'd probably be happier keeping Spencer, keeping Jared Allen, and even keeping Torian Prince because I'm not sure how Oladipo or Warren would fit because they're not giving the Nets what they need the most. And that's defensive upgrades. Old Oladipo, sure. But the one that we saw, his explosion, explosion just isn't quite there. And that's what you need defensively, that, that lateral quickness. And that's a concern I have with probably both guys. Like TJ Warren has been a better defender in Indiana, but he's still not going to lock up anybody. Ask Jimmy Butler. No, yeah, exactly, exactly. And in, in that respect, you know, we talked about Drew Holiday and Paul George. Victor Oladipo has shown all NBA defensive level caliber, but a lot of that is predicated on his athleticism. You know, he has, you know, been a, a league leader in like steals and deflections, yep. which sort of is the Nate McMillan style of coaching and stuff. So I feel that Nate McMillan really, you know, utilized his strengths in a way that Mike D'Antoni sort of did with James Harden and sort of just let him sort of develop a, a heliocentric sort of offense for him. But Mm -hmm. now he's not going to have that. He's going to be, like Joe sort of mentioned, the third guy. And, you know, while he can be a defender, because his defensive prowess, I think, was highly predicated on his athleticism. And I think we've seen that he's lost a little bit of that. And maybe he will get that back by the 2021 season in five, six months' time, however long it's been. Maybe that's all he needs is some genuine rest 
and some extra time to get that conditioning up. But there, there are just too many question marks, like you mentioned, Nick. And I do like the point of the fact that, you know, because uh, it makes it makes things easier for me and Corey because it's just like, man, where do all these guys rank in the NBA? Well, okay, now Nick said that Curry's just <laughs> that. So I'll note that down so it makes it easier when I'm doing the top 50. Because I think it's true. I think Karis LeVert did show, you know, in the bubble that he is a top 30 to 50 player. He has a, a, a range. I don't think you can get anything higher. I think his ceiling is 25. Yeah. You know, I don't think, I think that that's his ceiling. Spencer is probably 40 to 70. Um, you know, just to get it all numbery and subjective about it. But Victor Oladipo has shown he can be like 10. But he's right now, he's probably, you know, 40, 45, if that. You know, the efficiency that he showed, like Joe was sort of saying. So I think Victor Oladipo doesn't make a lot of sense. And I guess because we're on the paces, I'll throw this one at you because his name has also been rumored to be wanting out of Indiana. And that's Miles Turner. Joe. I don't have a package right in front of me, but he's on about $16 million. So you would assume it would have to be one of Spencer or Karras, a pick, Toy and Prince, maybe in a heap of picks, Toy and Prince and Rodion's court, something around those sort of lines. Discounting the package, or maybe you want to count in the package, how does Miles Turner fit on next year's Brooklyn Nets team? So for this one, I'm not even I'm not even going to mention the package at first, but I'm going to talk about fit. So we know next season, DeAndre Jordan is going to be the starter. That's one reason... Obviously, many reasons, but that's one reason why Kenny was I fired. I did a facepalm for those that, like, we're doing a Skype video right now. I did facepalm as soon as Joe said DeAndre started. So, yeah. But uh, we know, yeah, DeAndre is going to start because that's Kyrie and Katie's boy. It's He's part of the clean sweep. He's going to be the starting center. And a little bit of an unpopular opinion here. I personally... I see why people want to start Jarrett, but I don't have a problem with DeAndre starting, especially look at teams like the Warriors. They had like Zaza Pachulia starting for years. They had... Um, the minutes matter more than who actually starts. Exactly. And they had Anderson Varejao at one point. Like their centers were not good and DeAndre Jordan is clearly a lot better than them. So anyway, my point with this is if Miles Turner is unhappy in Indiana, what would he possibly be looking for in Brooklyn? I love Miles Turner. I think his skill set is perfect for the modern NBA. But is he going to be satisfied coming off the bench in some sort of six-man role, seventh-man role in which DeAndre is going to start over him and he might get, you know, 24, 28 minutes off the bench? If that is, if that answer is yes and he's perfectly fine with coming off the bench, then yes, I explore a package of maybe Jared Allen, one of Spencer, probably Spencer. I don't know if I trade Karras at this point. But if that, if that answer is yes, then at this point, I think Turner would fit well. But again... It's only if you're going to move on from Jared Allen, because otherwise our center position is pretty much set. Yeah. yeah, I think it would have to be a situation almost where DeAndre is willing to take a backseat because Miles Turner is that much better of a player. Where Jared, there's times where he's inconsistent, and obviously Miles Turner is too, but we're talking about a guy that was Defensive Player of the Year candidate, you know, two seasons ago, has a three point shot, one of the best three point shooting bigs probably in the league, at least from a true center perspective. So I think, like, if you make a move for Turner, it's because you want to start him. And he's a guy, if you have him, you're going to play him 30 minutes, and that means DeAndre is kind of taking that backseat. So I feel like it's just a little less likely from that perspective but i i love miles turner's fit and i i'm not sure there's many guys that would fit better on the nets giving you that full five out and giving Kyrie and kd the space to operate yeah i mean surely for Kyrie and kd and like friendship our bond here is strong at the brooklyn buzz but like if i could get zach low in this podcast see you later nick fake see you later <laughs> joe mccarr like come on like if, Damn, if, jack if, i'm not letting you ever stay in my house again <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm just kidding but Zach Lowe, Zach Lowe, like, you know, the, the guy's the GOAT of the podcast. But it, 
But honestly, surely if you're Kyrie and KD and you go, wow, we can get literally a team, uh, a player that would upgrade us in so many levels and would upgrade our games and our team in, in so many levels. DeAndre, sit the fuck down, mate. <laughs> like, seriously. At the end of the day, you there has to be an, a level of objectivity from those guys. And, you know, obviously all of those, their words get twisted and we've seen that recently. We'll probably chat about that in future episodes. But you know, I think that Joe makes a good point about the fact that, look, what is the dynamic there with the centers? We've already seen that be a, a major story point this season. But I think, Nick, you hit the nail on the head. Like, Miles Turner is almost an ideal fit in terms of yeah. the Nets need defensive prowess, the Nets need three-point shooting to space to open up the floor. What do you get with Miles Turner? Both of those things. And he's switchable. Yeah, he really is. He's like what we – we've said this before on the bus. He's what we want Jared Allen yep. to be. Like, literally. Like, Jared Allen has defensive player of the capabilities with his you know, ability to switch, and, and he's such a great rim protector. Miles Turner does that, and he also does the thing that makes you a modern NBA center and allows you know allows you to be out there in closing minutes like a lot of NBA centers aren't really traditionally. Unless you have Bam Adebayo, Nicole Jokic, Joel Embiid, and Anthony Davis. Those are generally like four centers off the top of my head. I can't really think of any others that are going to be out there in closing time. Most other teams are going to go small. So, yeah, yeah Miles Turner, hook it to my veins, but... Let's go. I think cool I'll just say one more thing too. And yeah. I think like given the fact that you have Kevin Durant and like there's so much small that like having two centers and having to get two centers a lot of minutes is going to be tough. And I think that's what's made us feel like Jared Allen's probably going to get moved just because DeAndre has that lock in with Kyrie and KD and just having that much money and time dedicated to that spot when you don't necessarily need it kind of hurts the Nets, especially when KD can play some small ball five. Yeah, exactly. I was going to bring that up. You brought you brought it up first. <laughs> Yep, Steve Nash said it. He'll be playing the one. He'll be playing the two, three, four, and five. Um, I'm intrigued to see how that looks. Obviously, you know, that, that quote has just been taken so much out of context. As soon as Clutch Points gets a quote <laughs> and a background, you know it's going to go crazy. Uh, shout out to Clutch Points. They do some awesome stuff. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national treasures like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. But let's go full circle because we haven't had Joe Money McCarr on this podcast talking about Bradley Beal. I think mm-hmm. Nick and I talk about it every second or third pod. <laughs> so we'll bring back those points and see if anything's changed. But let's get Joe's thoughts on Bradley Beal in Brooklyn 
the package that I see is, and this is via website that I just sort of did some research on. Didn't win any Levert, Allen, first round pick. Maybe you're chucking, maybe they want Claxton as well. Maybe they want Kuritz as well. I don't know. Maybe you replace uh, that first round pick with a Kuritz or a Claxton. Joe, package, Bradley Beal fit. What are your thoughts? In terms of the package, in my opinion, that's way too much. Essentially, that's all of the core guys for Bradley Beal, who, let's talk about Bradley Beal for a second. In terms of pure talent, if we were starting a team and needed one of these third options to be our first guy, I'd probably go with Bradley Beal. But in terms of how he's going to fit, you brought this up earlier, Nick, how he's going to fit next to Kyrie and Kevin Durant, I really, really have my like skeptical doubts about that, considering, as we've heard this before on Twitter, there's only one ball to go around. Bradley Beal, we saw part of the reason his production was so great this year was because, hey, John Wall is out. He decided, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to really be like the focal point, the on-ball guy. And how is he going to do that when you have Kyrie and Durant, who normally just handle the ball responsible, uh, ball dribbling responsibilities themselves? So in terms of that, we mentioned it earlier also, his defense is actually one of the worst in the NBA. I think I saw Bradley Beal and Trey Young yep. were like the worst two defenders in the NBA. So coming from a team who really needs defenders, I don't I don't know, and especially the off-ball fit, I'd prefer a guy who could really be better suited in an off-ball role. And am I as much as I love Bradley Beal also, am I going to sell the farm to have Bradley Beal play off-ball and maybe get me 18, 22 points a game and lose that backup potential six-man of the year in Dinwiddie, lose that rising star top 50 player in Karis LeVert, Lose the picks won't be super valuable, but that's a lot to give up for a guy who I feel like doesn't necessarily fit what they're trying to do in terms of how we're going to fit these pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah, I think it's an interesting situation. I think you have an opportunity to add a guy like Bradley Beal. It's hard to say no, just given the talent. It's like, hey, you know, if we do add Bradley Beal, we're kind of like Golden State. You know, we yeah, swap, you know, Beal and Clay Thompson. You got Steph and Kyrie. It's not the same game, but there's something similar there. Defense, though, is a concern. Then I just feel this way about trading for Bradley Beal is that Washington doesn't want to trade him. So they're going to, you know, have some crazy type of leverage where they're going to be asking for like a ridiculous amount of things. So I think that's a little concerning. And then also... I want to say it was a J.J. Redick podcast or maybe it was Joe Budden podcast where Katie was talking about, ah, we don't need a, three, a third star. We have a Karis LeVert. And I mentioned up, you know, um, you know, conspiracy theory, Nick, over here saying that I don't think Kyrie and Katie actually even want a third star because they kind of want to set the tone and be like, hey, you know, we can win on our own. We didn't need LeBron. We didn't need Steph. We, we are the guys that won that championships for those teams. So I think there's a possibility there. But at the end of the day, it's really tough to say no to Bradley Beal, just given how good he is. And you just kind of worry about the other things later, because I'm not sure how you could even defend Kyrie, KD and Beal. It'd be more so about how do you defend with that group? Pick your poison. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Big time. Uh, you're definitely going to be poisoned somehow. You're going to need some sort of antidote for those three. Yeah, I, I think that we've sort of seen big threes in previous years. How do they sort of work? You know, you look in, in, in Cleveland, you have Kevin Love, you have Kyrie, uh, you have LeBron James. You know, Bradley Beal would essentially be our Kevin Love. You have Chris Bosh, you have LeBron, you have D-Wade. You have Steph, you have Clay, you have Draymond. There's generally some sort of level of defense there. Yep. But at the same time, in Cleveland, LeBron wasn't necessarily the greatest defender in the world. And they had, you know, Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry and, and you know, Timofey Mozgov and those sort of guys playing. So uh, I, I think that at the end of the day, you probably go all in for talent. But yep. I, I do like the conspiracy theory of sort of being like, you know, Katie and Kai already think that they can do it anyway. 
They, mm. they, they really respect Karras, and I think that they want to see what they can do right now. And I think that's the likely route, but I guess for the sake of this exercise, it's, we're debating it. And maybe, you know, come February, we'll have to revisit this episode and repost it on Twitter and, and, all, and, ev- and everywhere else because it'll probably be more relevant then when the trade deadline occurs. It's like, all right, we clearly see that Karras isn't going to be able to do anything off the ball. Yep. We clearly see that Spencer or Jared Allen's still here and he's still uh, upset that he doesn't have that starting role. So I think that... Or the Wizards is, suck. Or the Wizards suck. Or, again, Bradley, we said it on a previous episode, Bradley Beal has said that it's flattering and he likes the fact that those comments were made by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So it's not that he's against the idea of Brooklyn. I just think that he, he's got his money. I think he wants to see what, uh, what can happen with Washington and make it work there. And I think that there might be other disgruntled third superstars like Carlton Towns. We'll get to some of those guys in a little bit. You know, we'll probably focus on the stars for this episode. And speaking, did, Nick, did you have anything to add? I was just going to say, no, actually, you're good, Jack. You're good. Let's go to another superstar, the superstar center in Philadelphia, Joel Embiid. Mm. Joel Embiid for basically the same package that I mentioned before to, to Joe. Maybe you're chucking another, thir- another first round or a couple more first rounders. Joe, how does Joel fit on the, you were talking about Miles Turner. Is it copy and paste for the exact same things that you were sort of alluding to? But this time with Joel Embiid, who I guess is maybe one of the two or three best centers in the league anyway. Yeah, here's the deal with that. If Joel Embiid is going to get traded, I don't think he does, but you never know. If D'Antoni decides, okay, I'm going for that Sixers role, I'm going to be the head coach of the Sixers. Obviously, we know he doesn't feel too strongly about traditional traditional centers, big men. So he might elect to move on from Embiid. If Embiid is going to get traded to Brooklyn at that point, Kyrie and KD, you need to tell DeAndre Jordan if he's not a part of the package, which I don't think, I don't think he will be. But if he's not a part, you need to tell him, hey, come off the bench. We'll still play you starters minutes. We'll we'll get you involved. But Joel Embiid, let's make that clear. He's not coming off the bench. That's a no-brainer. In terms of the package, I like Embiid's fit better than Beals in terms of how he's going to play next to Kyrie and Durant, which is the main the main aspect of a third star. You want them to complement the two you have. Can you imagine a world where Embiid is dominating in the post and he's getting double teams and they kick it out to an open Kyrie or Kevin Durant or Joe Harris who's shooting 47% from three or even Spencer Dinwiddie like who can then come in and drive the ball back and kick it and beat off a pick and roll or something like that. That is a very, very dangerous team. And frankly, one I don't think people have answers for. I think someone mentioned on Twitter when that MB trade was brought up. But if that's the case, you don't even have to play all three of them every night. You can kind of rest, you know, have get DeAndre some of his minutes. System. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> have this little rotation system where one of them rests every other night or something like that. Kind of cruise to like a top two or three seed in the playoffs and then go all out in the playoffs. And in terms of that, I like Embiid from the perspective he's going to defend the rim. He's going to play in the post, which we haven't really seen from the Nets the past few years. They're last in the league in post-ups. He's going to really be that enforcer on the defensive end, uh, pretty much not a defensive player of the year, but he's up there in terms of the best defensive players in the league. And he's just a guy who, honestly, in my opinion, if he's available, if he's healthy, that's a big if for him. We know he missed his first two years in the league. It took him a while to debut. If he's healthy, I think that's a guy who I'd consider like moving the farm for. 
I think you look at the situation, it's extremely risky. Like Joel Embiid has injury history. He has, you know, maybe some lack of uh, discipline in terms of his diet and conditioning. But I think in this situation, you take the risk because this is where you could be a dynasty. This is where you could win two or three straight championships because Joel Embiid is literally that good. Like Joe said, this is a guy who's been up for defensive player a year, two years ago, and he's been made all defensive teams. He has that type of impact. And you literally have no answer because you're getting killed from all three levels. You have Kyrie and Katie on the perimeter and in the mid range, and you have Joel Embiid in the paint, you know, and I, all I can see is just giant ass Joel Embiid setting screens for Kyrie Irving, just getting wide open shots. It's, it's kind of ridiculous to think about If they are able to do it, you pull the trigger just because you want to see what could possibly happen and how good the Nets could really be. Because like Joe was saying too, is like, you have all three guys, like, Embiid could play 65 games and DeAndre could start those other games and you're probably still going to win a ton of them. Yeah, I'm actually... Uh, the, the hearing you guys talk about this is probably warming me more to the idea because, yes, the conditioning is an issue with Joel Embiid. Yes, the, the mentality is an issue with Joel Embiid. But he's a dad now and I, I respect, you know, <laughs> when fatherhood and you're a step up and responsibilities. Chat about that on JBT. Make sure you're checking that one out on the OTG YouTube. Um, I just think that all the points that you guys mentioned and the risk for me is you have three superstars who have some sort of injury risk with them. Katie coming off an Achilles, Kyrie who doesn't play 70 games in a regular season and Joel Embiid who doesn't play like 60 games in a regular <laughs> season. But how much are you going to lose in return? And I also think this is a point made on another podcast that if Joel Embiid were to get traded, you would get a, a, a likely motivated FU Joel Embiid. Yeah. And I think that's where a mentality change would happen. If he were to go to Houston for James Harden or if he were to go to the Brooklyn Nets in some sort of package as well, that sort of FU mentality for Joel Embiid could be the, the real reason. Because, I mean, he has an FU mentality to anyone, to anyone, whether it's Hassan Whiteside or freaking Andre Drummond, for God's Carl sake. Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Carmelo Towns. Anthony, Russell Westbrook. <laughs> you name it. It's literally every 400 players and maybe the coaches in the NBA. Whoever's been tagged on Instagram. I mean, the Instagram tag, oh man, the, the in, imagine the social media game of Katie's burners, Kyrie's <laughs> deep intellectual quotes, and Joel Embiid's awesome tagging on, on Twitter and Instagram. Man, this, the social media game is going to be popping for the Brooklyn Nets. We'll be doing pure, pure social media reaction shows just in the Brooklyn Buzz about what Joel Embiid and those three guys have posted. But basketball fit, man, it's it's a lot. There, there's a lot of things that make sense. The risks are also quite big as well. So I think that you know you try to weigh those things up. I think like we sort of talked about with like Oladipo who has injury risks as well. Holiday and Beal don't necessarily. Um, I don't think the, Paul George certainly does, like um, Nick mentioned, with his shoulders. And you've already got a, a guy who's got uh, iffy shoulders w with Kyrie Irving as well. I think that does have to be taken into account. But when you are on the precipice of, of a championship, which the Nets are, even though they haven't proven it yet, you have the roster right now that can challenge for it. You need to make take those types of risks. And if they work out, they work out. And if they don't, uh, then it's Billy King 2.0, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you'd have three top 10, three top 12 players. You know, however you rank Joel Embiid, you could say he'd be maybe even be top five, depending on how he plays. And I look at it this way. One of the reasons I felt like Joel Embiid dropped off is maybe he didn't have somebody like Jimmy Butler to make him accountable and try to push him that extra level. And playing with a guy like Kyrie and KD, two of the best, you know, in the league, and KD, one of the best to ever do it, I feel like that would also help motivate him, like Jack was saying, with the whole FU mentality. Like, they'd be the major villains of the NBA. It would, it would be wild. And I think, like, you just almost have to take the risk just to see what could happen. Exactly. Uh 
Absolutely. Let's get to the one that we all want. The one that was seen playing a little bit of soccer with our head coach, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, this is via, this is the least likely, but we've got to talk about it because why not? We're, we're, we're done. We've got a platform. Let's do it. <laughs> Andrew Puccio, the GOAT himself, the former executive told Eric Pinkus that a Nets-Bucks trade for Giannis could happen should Milwaukee take that route. Uh, mentions that the Brooklyn's young core and the fact that they do have draft picks still, including this year's one, as a potential package. Joe, uh, it's a no-brainer. Let's get it done. The Greek freak to Brooklyn. Let's get the Greek community involved at Barclays Center. It's happening. It's over. The third, the, the 2021 championship is coming. Can you have a three? Can you have th- a three equal MVPs like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Giannis winning it at the same time? Has that ever happened? Oh, co, co, co. <laughs> co, co, co. Exactly. Joe, what are so, your thoughts? In terms of the Giannis trade, first I need to say: at first, you look at it and you're saying, you know, this isn't feasible whatsoever a top four player essentially getting traded but look at milwaukee's situation now we know Giannis has said look i want to stay here for the next 15 years next 10 years but you know old takes exposed we've seen this type of stuff in every sport it doesn't always hold true so if the time comes we know milwaukee's going to do whatever best of their ability go get, go out and get a playmaker we've heard chris paul link to them go out and improve this team make sure we have a nice foundation set for Giannis where we can compete year in and year out but let's pretend come trade deadline time, Giannis is not happy. He says, look, I'm not re-signing here. I'm not taking that super max deal. Now is when things get really interesting in which sense, okay, who is going to throw this enormous package for Giannis, which is essentially a huge risk because he's a free agent. He can walk from your organization after half a season. But if you're the Nets, look at it this way. The ultimate goal of any team, especially the Nets in this brief KD, Kyrie era, who we don't know if it'll last two years. We don't know if it'll last seven years. The ultimate goal is to win a title. And please tell me who in the world would ever stop a team of Durant, Giannis, and Kyrie Irving. That's a team you make on 2K. That's not like a, that's not even a realistic team. And you have so to put on four trades. Like. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, you'd have, to, you'd have to turn off trade logic. So if you can trade a package of Karras, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Jared Allen, Picks, Take Claxton, take Kuroots, as much as I love these guys. The emotional attachment to these guys can only go so far. If Milwaukee is saying, here, give us all this for Giannis, who is back-to-back MVP, a defensive player of the year, a top four player, in my mind, that's an absolute no-brainer. I think they'd even ask for a package more than we can offer. But if they take it, that's fool's gold right there, and you got to pounce on that offer. Yeah, I mean, if it's out there and you have any type of option to get it, you don't really care how many picks they ask. They ask you for oh, seven yeah. first-round picks, you say yes, because Giannis makes you relevant for probably the next 10 years because, like Joe said, you're gonna win, You're probably going to win a championship. You're probably going to win multiple championships. You're going to sign Giannis at Supermax. Josiah isn't going to care about the luxury tax because the amount of money he's going to be making off the Nets is going to be ridiculous. It really comes down to how can you entice the Bucks? And the one thing the Nets would have going for them if Giannis did request a trade would be they're the only contender that can really throw out a great trade package. Like the Clippers don't have any assets. The Lakers don't have any assets. You know, Boston still has some things, but most of their young assets are their best players. So they're not going to trade those guys where, hey, Milwaukee, you know, Giannis requests he wants to be traded to a contender where he gives him a list and he says, I'm only going to those teams. And obviously, like Joe said, being a free agent, he has a little bit more leverage than you typically have. And then for the Bucks' perspective, hey, I get Spencer Dooney, I get Karis LeVert, I get Jared Allen, I get a ton of first-round picks. And now I'm still relevant. I'm probably a good playoff team. I just am not a finals contender anymore. But it, I, I feel like if I'm the Bucks, 
I'm not trading Giannis. I'm just going to probably wait until he leaves because I, I just don't want to lose him. Yeah, unless he tells you. And yeah, and there was a comment that um, Nick Busing and I co-host of JBT took out of context on an, on an episode about him sort of saying that, you know, my agents will put me in the best place to win. And I'm just like, well, if you're talking about that, then there is no better situation than in BK, my friend, Mr. Antetokounmpo. I the only one that... closest in terms of like being an actual basketball fit would be Dallas, but I don't think they have assets either. Yeah, and think... that's that. Yeah, that's what Miami I think Miami would be a fit for him. I've heard that one, Lance. Yeah, my, it's Miami, Dallas, and, and Brooklyn. But I think that in terms of giving the best opportunity to win, it, it's it's Brooklyn, no doubt. You could, and I said that following up on that podcast, I did say that Dallas was the best option for him, and if he goes there, then you know, lock it up for 10 years uh, for, for Mark Cuban's lads. But in, in saying that, I, I just think that it just, it's a, it's a little bit of a pipe dream, but mm. sometimes we've got to dream in this podcast. I mean, we got goddamn Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Steve Nash. You know, things that we didn't necessarily <laughs> think that would happen in our wildest dreams. You know, we've been, three years ago, we were talking about Ronda Hollis Jefferson, Jared Jack, and, you know, the, <laughs> and Sergey Tarasov. And, yeah. yeah and Quincy Acey. <laughs> I remember man, we did so many podcasts about Quincy AC and his three point shooting. Um, <laughs> Quincy AC, you know, if, if Quincy AC is listening, you, know, you want to jump on the pod at the J Man JVT. Simon so Sims, my guy. All right, lads, we're going to finish off with two more. We're going to go with Kat and James Harden. I'll start with Carl Anthony Towns, and maybe it was more likely when we had Delo, but I'll put this out there Cat Ford, Dinwiddie, Prince, Allen, and some picks. Joe, what are your thoughts? So originally, just based on the package you mentioned, I need to say there's no way Minnesota takes a package without Karis LeVert. Mm, that yeah. package is, they'll laugh in Mark's face and hang up yeah. and never pick up his phone call again. <laughs> that package would be the same as we've heard for Embiid and Beal. It would be LeVert, Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Picks, maybe Claxton or Kuroots, as we've mentioned, something valuable. But let's pretend the package is the whole farm, as we mentioned. In that case, I feel like Towns essentially, in terms of Embiid's fit, kind of provides a similar aspect in the terms that he could play in the post. Towns is a better three-point shooter than Joel Embiid. Let's keep that in mind. So That's three-point shooting big in the league. Oh, exactly. exactly. Maybe Davis Bertans has something to say about that. But in terms of like elite, elite big yeah. men. Well, I'm saying it's like yeah. part of your skill and not being a specialist. And I'm not even yeah. sure Bertans can uh, shoot off the dribble like Towns can because yeah. I've, I've seen – Yeah, you saw – you were at the home opener last year against the T-Wolves. Joe, we were just talking about it. And yeah. Towns was hitting freaking step-back threes on Jared yeah, Allen. like five or six that game. I couldn't believe yeah. it. But um, in terms of that, yeah. I feel like Towns essentially would be that great fit that could man the center. Like I said, Towns doesn't really have an injury history, knock on wood. But you could do what Nick said earlier. You could play DeAndre like 15, 20 games, tell him, hey, you're the starter here. You can rest guys in uh, some sort of rotation system. If you can get Carl Anthony Towns, who right now, yes, he's putting up numbers on a bad team, but he's currently averaging, what, 27, 13, maybe four, three, four assists. That is great production. And out of a third star, I don't know what more you can ask for. A guy who stretches the floor. A guy who, let's not forget, his family is from North Jersey. In fact, yeah. before a Nets game once, I actually met his dad across the street from Barclays. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, in sense, it's a, a homecoming. <laughs> since it's a homecoming just like Kyrie also and in terms of fit in terms of future he's only what 24 25 years old I want to say he's gonna fit this team now and for the future should Katie and Kyrie elect to leave if he wants to stay in Brooklyn I think that's a great fit on the roster currently Nick before you jump in I wanted to ask Joe this question Cat or MB you know taking obviously you, you said it, it'd basically be the same package 
if you had a choice, you're Sean Marks, you get to pick up the phone. I won't make you do the Kiwi accent like I've done before on this podcast. <laughs> but if you can do Cat or Embiid, who are you taking? Is it the same package for both of them? Basically, let's just say that it, that it is. In terms of talent, I'm going strictly with Embiid. But as Nick brought up earlier, in terms of you know spacing the floor, in terms of injury history, Embiid's injury history scares me. It really does. Towns, on the other hand, I could I know he's a little more consistent in terms of durability, how many games he's going to play each season. So I do see pros and cons to both. If Marks really wants to pull a Billy King and push all his poker chips to the center of the table, you go for Embiid. If he wants to play it a little more safe, you go for Towns. But let's keep it real. In terms of durability, you need every option to be healthy come playoff time. Let's say, let's say there's no third star. It's only Kyrie and Durant. They're not. Let's say I don't know. Knock on wood again. Let's say Kyrie goes down come postseason time. As great as Kevin Durant is, that team is not winning a title without both options being healthy. And in the case of Embiid, let's say you trade everything for him and your bench is, I don't know, I'll make up free agents. Let's say your bench is like DJ Augustine. Uh, I don't even know who the free agent wings are, but JR it's basically guys, <laughs> yeah, it's guys who took a minimum. Are you going to trust the team with really no depth to really pursue? So in that case, just because of, you know, spacing and how it would fit, I'd probably give a slight edge to Towns. But in terms of talent, no doubt about it, Embiid is better. Yeah, I think Joe nailed it when he said that, hey, if you want the risky one, it's like the high ceiling, but the low floor, you go with Joel Embiid. If you want something a little bit more steady, you go with Carl Anthony Towns. The only concern I have with Towns is his defense. This is a guy that was drafted to be an elite defensive player, and yeah. he hasn't shown any of that in the NBA. He's had little moments, but like for a guy of his athleticism and what we see him do offensively, defensively, he should be better. So that'd be a little bit of my concern, but I... It's tough to say. I feel like maybe you could get him a little cheaper than Embiid, but at the same time, Embiid has some question marks, so he might, you know, be able to come at literally the same price. I think I'm just like being crazy, and I want to see like the craziest possible thing. I'd probably go Embiid in this situation, just because I'm a little concerned about Towns' defense, and I think that's a guy that if he didn't get better defensively, you'd be able to expose him, similar to what we saw Nikola Jokic, you know, against the Lakers. Maybe not to that extent, because I think Towns is a more competent defender, but still there's some major question marks on that that end of the floor. And I also don't think Minnesota's in any position where they have to trade Towns because they just got D'Lo to make him happy. Yeah, I mean, Kyrie and Kat and on as as defenders, key defenders in, in key stretch moments. I'm putting that in a pick and roll every day. Uh, yes, please, if I'm the, def the defensive coordinator for the opposing team. One thing I want to look at to sort of, you guys have hit the nail on the head on, on the on-court stuff. I don't really have anything to add there. But in terms of the personality fit of Embiid and Kat, I honestly think that Kat probably wouldn't be a great locker room fit. This is me just being an armchair psychologist for the sake of it. And, you know, I, I obviously have no idea. But we sort of saw with Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins a sort of quote-unquote big three in Minnesota. And Towns just didn't mesh with, with Jimmy. You know, the, the standards that he has, the, the, the insatiable desire for winning, that motivation, uh, and, and the sort of just general attitude just didn't mesh. Would Cat mesh with the Kyrie and a KD? Do they have that? I think that their attitude is closer to a Jimmy Butler. Maybe a little bit more low-key, a little bit more chill. Maybe not selling as much coffee for $20, a bloody pop. Um, but I do think that uh, I, as a personality thing, I think Embiid would become bestie straight away with them. I think that like you would see some like group Instagram posts with all of them. I think the the respect that that KD would have for Embiid would be immense. And that you know, I think that just as, as a locker room and chemistry fit, I think almost Embiid would fit better. And maybe that's he's a, your enforcer a, too. Yeah, 
And I, and I think that that physicality, you know, uh, uh, it's just, I, I probably lean towards Embiid slightly because I, that what Nick's saying, but I do see with, it would be, it's going against, I guess, all the points that I've made on this podcast about the injury risk with every other single player uh, on the pod. Let's get to, I said one more name, but there's two superstars that we've got to get to. And it's Ben Simmons and it's James Harden. So I can't leave my boy Benny out of it. So we'll start with James Harden. And the package that I see, uh, that I've seen in my research is Jared Allen, Carol Severt, Spencer Dimony, Toyin Prince, uh, the first round pick, three future firsts, and maybe some swaps. And the Nets get in return Harden and House. Joe, James Harden. I didn't mention his name when I was talking at the start with uh, other sort of guards around Bradley Beal, Drew Holiday, these sort of guys. James Harden, uh, you're talking about like, you know, Giannis and stuff. Man, offensively, it's like OKC 3.0 or some shit. My brain can't comprehend it. What is it? What is it? How does it make you feel when you hear that? It's really tough because, again, if we were playing 2K, you know, I'd say pull the trigger for Harden. But at the same time, James Harden is arguably the most ball-dominant player in the NBA. So I feel like there's part of me that says go for the talent, figure out the fit later. But also we have reason to be skeptical in this case because how do you like a Kyrie and Harden backcourt defensively? Offensively, ridiculous. But defensively, the opposing teams are going to go for like Jamal Murray would have like 48 a night on that backcourt. Let's be honest. So... I could see the point of doing it, in which case, hey, this offense is literally unstoppable, like maybe Golden State-esque, like a dynasty offense right there. But I also have my skeptics like, oh, how are we going to, again, there's only one ball to go around. Kyrie has the ball in his hands a lot. Durant has the ball in his hands a lot. Is Harden going to be able to play off ball? Because we haven't seen it from him really that much since maybe, what, 2013, 2014? His off-ball play this year was kind of trash, to be honest. There was yeah, just so exactly. many incidences where he would just stand at the top of the break. Some of that's Tony's offense, but some of it's like, come on, man, just like slide to the corner. And when he was active off-ball, Houston's offense was two times better. Yeah. Exactly. So there's, in my mind, there's just so many question marks about that. Like, of course, the whole media would be covering us. You'd see like Slam Magazine covers. Look at this team. Who's going to stop them? <laughs> But it gives me those vibes of like, you know, that <laughs> you guys remember that cover with like Jason Kidd, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, yeah. Joe Johnson. It's like, who's going to stop them or whatever. It gives me the same vibes in that, hey, maybe this team is better on paper than it is in actual reality. So I don't know. Harden, of course, box office talent, unstoppable offensive talent. One of the greatest we've ever seen, even though people don't want to give him credit. But again, you really have to assess fit. And at that point, literally no defenders, you'd be relying on a bunch of minimum contracts to be your enforcers. And at that point, I don't know where you go about it, but it's not as crazy as we think. Yeah, it's it's tough to say. I mean, I definitely would have concern, but I feel like, all right, you got a top five guy to add with possibly another top five and top 12 or 10, whatever you want to call Kyrie at this point. You almost have to pull the trigger if it's okay with Kyrie and KD, because like I said, I think there would be some concern about having the extra ball handler. And I feel like for that to be the most successful type of offense, the ball would actually have to be in James Harden's hands. Like he would have to be the initiator that KD and Kyrie would have to play off of him. And I'm not really sure if they want to do that, especially after coming to Brooklyn and not really having a chance. I think trade package wise, it's kind of like you send them what they want. And if you get Daniel house back, at least you're getting one competent defender back. And I think Harden, He's not a good guard defender, but he's actually not bad in terms of like defending forwards or bigs. Like his, 
It's actually yeah. really good. Yeah. His deflections were way up this year too. It's just like he can't defend guards, like Joe said. Like he, if he had to guard Jamal Murray, he'd get cooked. But if he had to guard like you know somebody else in the post, or like even if he was going matching up with Nikola Jokic, I feel like he'd do a better job than Jamal Murray. Yeah, I think that you know James, uh, and and I think that basketball was you, you mentioned the off ball sort of thing, Nick. Obviously, I don't think KD and Kyrie are going to want to do, it, especially Kyrie as as a, as a lead ball handler, but. We've seen him be a second ball handler in Cleveland, and it's where he peaked it at, in, in terms of his success. Yeah. It can be probably one of the most efficient and dangerous off-ball players. And if those two figure out some sort of tandem and, and relationship and on-court chemistry, there is literally no stopping them. But I think that you, you know you look at the, the weaknesses and James Harden's immense offensive skills that Joe alluded to offset some of the weaknesses because you know does um, you know do uh, do some of the other guards does. Bradley Beal have any sort of defensive level of acumen? No, he can't even defend like in the post like James Harden can. You know, James Harden at least can do something defensively and can show effort as well. Whereas, you know, uh, I think that James Harden would be near the top of any person's list. And I think this is a deal similar to Embiid. It's just like, uh, you got the talent, you make it work, you figure it out afterwards. And one, the only thing that will stop him is, uh, I'll ask both of you guys. You're both sort of natives to, to, to America and Brooklyn, probably seen a little bit more than I have. What strip are the clubs. strip clubs like <laughs> in Brooklyn? I'm uh, not 100% sure, but if there's anything that's undefeated, it's the Houston strip club scene. And that's maybe why James Harden uh, needs to get kicked out of there. And maybe, you know, Kyrie said on the podcast with Kevin Durant that, you know, he's just a low-key guy now. He's just spending time with his family, reading some books. Maybe he'll take a page out of Kyrie's book and, you know, be a, bit, a little bit more introverted, hang with his guys. But... Um, when you're that far away from Manhattan, uh, I can't see that happening with James Harden, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and what was it? We had the report that, you know, Karis and KD were part of some, like, stripper thing during COVID. So, obviously, they got the connection. He made bonding, Nick. You just get a, you get James Harden in there as well. You get all the connections to all, like, all the road trips. How much teammate bonding are you going to see off the court with the Brooklyn? TMZ is going to be all over it, and I'm going to be loving it. And, again, we'll have to have, like, you know, these TMZ social media pods but just purely, we might do like a Patreon version. We'll go with my, my Joe Harris only fans. We've just got all these side hustles <laughs> from the Brooklyn buzz. But uh, we'll finish with Aussie Ben because he's Aussie. I love him. And I'll, uh, the package uh, that has been proposed by our guy Alec, uh, Mike Scott and Ben Simmons for Spencer Karras, Toyin Prince, uh, a couple of first rounders, a second rounder, maybe some swaps, however you want to put it in there. Now, Joe, we've probably talked about Joel Embiid, uh, before you do go into how you think about the Ben Simmons fit, if you had a choice out of Simmons or Embiid, who are you taking? In terms of who I'd want to be the third star or in terms of who I'm taking to start the franchise? And to who you want to be the third star on the Brooklyn Nets for 2021? third star, I'd pick Embiid because of his fit. But in terms of the package you mentioned for Simmons, first I need to say with whatever coach they hire, I think Philly... Like, we've heard all these trade rumors, and obviously it's fun to speculate. They're definitely, in my mind, going to keep Simmons. I think if you have to pick one of the two in terms of which one we want to keep in Philly, he is the one that they're going to uh, keep, in my opinion, simply because he's like a big guard that could do it all. He's kind of reminiscent of Magic Johnson. And especially if, like I said, especially if D'Antoni is hired, you know Embiid's going to be the one who gets the boot. But in terms of his fit, in terms of Simmons with Brooklyn, I see how it would work, but I also see how it wouldn't. Because Simmons, he's played kind of a different role in the bubble in the sense that Shake Milton would run the point. Simmons would kind of play like this point forward role, which we all thought he would 
do as drafted until the Sixers kind of moved into a point guard. So let's say you want to play him in that same point forward role with Brooklyn. Kyrie has the ball most of the time. Simmons off ball one. This is no secret to anybody. We know he can't shoot in the slightest. Like, they, I'm sorry, they should not be treating an NBA player like a make-a-wish kid when he makes a three-pointer. That is, <laughs> that is unbearable. I'm sorry. But it, that shouldn't be happening, especially for your third star. And in terms of defense, I could see how it works. Simmons is easily one of the greatest perimeter defenders. Part of it is his length. Part of it is his lateral quickness. Part of it is his size. Um, not going to discount him, but it's easy to be a great defender when you have at least a five-inch advantage on everyone. He's a great defender, which is essentially what Brooklyn needs. He's a playmaker, but his ability to work off of Kevin Durant and Kyrie, I'm not quite sure. And again, I'm not discounting it. I'm not saying it wouldn't work, but maybe it works if they play a lot of transition ball. But especially we're not sure what type of offense Steve Nash is going to choose to run. He's kind of given us hints, but I feel like there's a huge question mark when it comes to Simmons and how he would fit on this roster. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit more positive in terms of how Simmons would fit because I just look at the defensive fit in that he would give them that elite lockdown guy for everything. And we're not just talking about forwards or, you know, it's going to be guards too. We were mentioning Jamal Murray, like he'll lock him up. We'd have, we're going to have to deal with Jason Tatum next year in the playoffs. You got Ben Simmons. You're going to have to deal with Giannis. You have Ben Simmons. And I think, honestly, this would lead to the Nets playing more, more small ball and playing Simmons and Katie both at the five, just kind of switching depending on how it is. And I think Steve Nash, and not trying to disrespect Brett Brown, but he's just not that creative offensively, I would get Ben Simmons in a lot more rolling situations where Ben Simmons is setting a pick for Kyrie Irving. Oh, you want to hide your worst defender on Ben Simmons? Cool, we'll get that switch and we'll make you pay for it. And I think it would just take a lot of creativeness. And this would also allow the Nets to only have to play DeAndre in those starting minutes and they can go to some of that small ball stuff or maybe it's even adding you know trying to add a PJ Tucker or something because I think in that trade you mentioned Jack there's no Jared Allen included so you still have one trade asset where maybe you could make that move to add that other wing and really get you that modern NBA you know competing team because Simmons is just so versatile yeah the offense is concerning without the jump shot but with a creative head coach you can make it work especially with you have two of the most elite offensive players in the NBA. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the prototype that comes to mind when talking about Ben Simmons, and it's not a direct comparison point, but it's a guy that can't shoot but has tremendous ball handling skills, tremendous playmaking skills, tremendous defense, is Draymond Green. Yeah. And Steve Nash has seen that firsthand, how that works. And I think that we could see a version of that if Ben Simmons were to get to Brooklyn. I think Steve Nash could unlock that, like you mentioned, Nick. I think the Nets will play great transition ball. He's one of the best transition players in the NBA. Uh, even though Jared Dudley thinks he's a little bit limited. I do trust the night. Um, but in, in saying that, you know, Ben Simpson transition is as unstoppable as LeBron James. You know, you get him under the rim as well, playing as a, as a five. He can run the break as well. You know, yeah. he is a tremendous rebounder. Look what I Bam's doing. Exactly. I don't think that Ben Simmons has been used enough at the five in his career. And I think that he is closer to being a five than he is to being a one. You know, mm. and basically a Bam at a bio, Draymond Green with less <laughs> offensive acumen. But in the role, I do think that he has, I think he has shown improvement in his offensive game in terms of his, his finishing ability at the rim. I, the one thing that does worry me as much as uh, Joe said about his, uh, the, the savagery of his three-point shooting, I think <laughs> his uh, free-throw shooting is Yeah, is horrible. yeah I didn't even and, think about that. And I mean, Giannis He's scared of free-throws. Yeah, and I mean, Giannis is, 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 is a deplorable three point, uh, free throw shooter as well, but he doesn't have the mentality of being like, I don't want to get here. Whereas Ben Simmons will be like, if there's contact there, 
it's going to affect his finishing because he doesn't want to get sent to the line. Um, and maybe that changes in a new situation uh, in Brooklyn. The pressure is less for him. Maybe he does start taking threes. You know, for, for him, it's a mentality sort of thing. And I think that, you know, Steve, under Steve Nash's tutelage, I think we could see a, a different version of Ben Simmons that we haven't seen before. And, you know, out of all the guys that got to stand for Aussie Ben, even though he has an American accent, he's lost the, the Aussie twang. I still stand for my guy, BS. So I, I think almost, and Nick, I didn't, uh, did you, uh, I asked Joe the, the question of Simmons or Embiid. Uh, Simmons or Embiid for you? Um, I would probably say Embiid because I'm just going crazy. I'm just trying to get that real dynasty. But the other positive about Simmons and Jack, and you and I talked about this, I don't think on the buzz, but on the outlet, how Embiid's career is probably not going to be super long. Oh. Where if you get Ben Simmons, you probably have a guy you can build around too when Kyrie and KD start to fade and he can kind of take on that role because – hey, Ben Simmons still has top 15 player potential. You know what I mean? Like he ascended this year. We've seen the defense really improve. And like Jack said, you know, maybe the offense can take strides just watching KD shoot a little bit that can rub off on him or something like that. And really what Simmons does do too is he gives you a true point guard to an extent. Like he's a guy that prefers to pass the ball and to run the show where he could take those transition opportunities or he can occasionally run the offense like I mentioned with Bam. And now all of a sudden that defender can't sit back because he's making him have to play and defend. So it's tough to say. Ben Simmons definitely 100% safer and long-term. But if you want to just like, hey, see how good my franchise can really be, do we want to maybe be literally one of the best teams to ever be in the NBA? If you get Joel Embiid, that's a conversation you could possibly have. Yeah, in terms of the, the, the talent on the roster, there's no doubt about that. But, you know, I think that Simmons purely is just like, a, you mentioned the defensive acumen and who he can take on the wing. You know, if we don't have wing-level defenders, you know, we don't get some guys that we're going to mention on future trade pods and free agency pods, then Embiid can't switch, really. Like, whereas Simmons can defend one through five. The names that you mentioned, you know, that Joe alluded to to Jamal Murray, whereas he could probably go on to a Bam Adebayo, maybe even an Anthony Davis. You know, I'm not 100% sure of that. But, you know, when he's talking on his Twitch streams and stuff, you know, uh, Ben Simmons doesn't have as much respect for those guys who can't, switch uh, across defensively he is one of the better if not you know it's maybe him or Marcus Smart out of the guys that I think have the most defensive versatility in terms of positional positionally speaking yeah and I would say Simmons is better I mean and I'm not trying to throw shade on Marcus Smart or anything but we just saw Tyler Hero cook him for a couple possessions in the Eastern Conference Finals and I think Simmons like Joe kind of mentioned he has an advantage over over most guys because of that length and like you said Jack he's closer to a center than he is a point guard. So there's some major perks. Maybe you got me leaning a little bit more towards Ben Simmons now because I think one thing that like entices you is there's a safety net of, hey, wow, KD and Kyrie, we don't win a championship. We still have an elite player that can we can build around in the future. And I think the package could possibly be less, but it's tough to say because like Joe mentioned, if I was Philly, I'm not trading Ben. I'm not trading either guy, but. Yeah, we'll certainly wait and see that. Uh, we got through eight names, guys. I've got about 35 on this uh <laughs> Google Doc here, and we've chatted for about an hour. We're going to be doing lots of trade pods, and if Joe Money McCarr is going to be on them, I'm going to be back with bells on. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, always a pleasure talking Nets with you, and big thanks, everybody, for listening. Joe, happy to have you on for the first time, and like I mentioned before, you can catch us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network.
Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.